matter of art and photography may come down to this. It is the capture and projection of the delights of seeing. It is the defining of observation, full and felt. Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and welcome to episode 135 for the middle of May. And you got me tonight just uh, by myself. Uh, Ward is uh, Ward is working or doing something. I don't know, but you got just me. And actually, I had recorded this episode from... Uh, Greenwood a couple days ago and I went to go edit it today and the sound was totally it's not unusable but there's a lot of sound of me walking and you can hear it rubbing against the mic and I just I didn't think I could play that <laughs> for you guys I think it would just drive you crazy it was driving me crazy so I didn't want to I didn't want to drive you guys crazy so I'm actually re-recording this that's why I'm a little late with the show I would have put it out this weekend and uh, today's the 17th I would have put it out on the 15th but I didn't. So I'm re-recording what I was talking about. And hopefully this will, this actually will probably be a lot shorter um, because I probably should be doing other things today, like trying to find work and stuff like that. No, I, I love doing the podcast. I was actually thinking about, you know, um, things that I like to do and I find important and uh, recording this show has um, been very important for me. Uh, to do on a regular basis. I mean, I may not be doing a lot of things regularly, but this is the one thing I'm trying to do more often. So anyway, you just got me today and uh, I'm going to try to recreate a little bit of what I was talking about. Although I guess I'll do some editing and I'm talking too much. So I'll get right in. Well, I'll get right into it in a way. I, I spent last week going through uh, some of my archives going uh, through hard drives that I've got sitting on my shelf. And I just really wanted to fire them up on my computer to make sure that they were still working. You know, I'm sure they're going to die at some point. But, uh, you know, I figure keeping the mechanisms going and, and uh, making sure they're still running uh, is important. And, of course, I'm looking through old pictures while I'm doing that because I'm saying, oh, you know, these you know, there's all these old folders that have, that are not necessarily attached to any Lightroom library or something like that because I've got so many digital files. You know, I've, I haven't imported everything into Lightroom. So a lot of the stuff is just sitting around and it's really not organized. And, you know, while I was doing this, I was wondering just what everybody else is doing in terms of this is like a question for you guys to come back at me because I'm really curious about this. What are you guys doing for your old archives? How are you keeping those organized? Now, I'm a lot more organized now with using Lightroom, and I have been for the past 10, 15 years. I've been very good at the archives. I haven't been great at keywording and doing all that kind of stuff, but definitely importing, backing up. I've got multiple backups of my raw files and JPEGs and, and whatnot. And usually I've got stuff on two, minimum two drives, probably four drives. So I've got all that stuff backed up. And, you know, it's, I can pretty much find what I'm looking for. It takes me a little bit of time, again, because I haven't keyworded everything. And I've just got so many pictures. So I'm really curious whatever, what everybody else is doing uh, to keep their archive set. Because it started to occur to me that, you know, unlike uh, shooting on film where you've got a, you know, a, a cabinet full of negatives, um, we've got all these digital files sitting on hard drives. And, you know, 
with 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 negatives with film, you didn't have to open the drawers every now and then and pull the negatives out to make sure they still worked. They were always going to be there. And, you know, at some point, 50, 60 years from now, someone might buy that file cabinet of yours and find all your negatives, you know, and so that that analog still exists. Uh, you know, someone it may not they may not keep them. They may not print them. They may whatever, you know, a Vivian Meyer kind of situation where your, your stuff is in a storage space and, and someday in the future, someone finds it and, and, and recognizes the, um, you know, the importance of it. But with hard drives and digital media, it's a lot different, obviously, and it requires upkeep. And, you know, I'm sitting here by myself in my office studio and firing up these hard drives to look at old pictures just to make sure the mechanisms are still working. And I'm thinking, who's going to do this in the future? Who's going to, you know, who's going to archive, uh, look through my archives and make sure the hard drives are working? I mean, if these things end up in a, you know, in a flea market someplace, I mean, there's a good chance that they may not work again, you know? And, you know, I've talked about this before, and I'm sure we've all thought about this. I mean, the probably the best way to archive your pictures is to print them, but you can't print all your pictures. And even when you were shooting film, you would only print, you know, a small subset of the negatives that you shot, you know, if you, if you printed anything at all. And so printing is not always the way to archive. Yes, it will archive those prints that you make, right. And the ones that you deem important enough to, to print out and spend that energy, but the rest of the stuff, well, you know, negatives, you just stuck in a file and maybe you could go back at look at them once in a while, you know, and, or look at the contact sheets or something like that and say, oh, you know, maybe I need to print that or something like that. Digital files are different. We have to, we have to, we have to archive them differently. We have to pay attention to them differently. So, you know, dealing with all this stuff, and especially because we shoot so much and we have so many files. And like I, for me, I don't go through necessarily and delete everything. So there's a lot of garbage. But again, the same thing with negatives, right? When you're looking through your negatives, there are bad pictures next to good pictures, right? So no real difference there. Uh, but anyway, this is sort of a call to you guys to reach out to me, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or somehow every message. And, uh, and I'm curious because I'm wondering if there's any really good ideas that you guys have. And I, I don't want to Google it. I mean, there's 4,000 people who've got many different ways to, um, you know, they say this is the best way to archive your stuff. And that's great. I mean, I, I pay attention to some of that. And I'm, I'm in fact, probably one of the persons who who put out that information also, you know, into the world. But I want to hear from you guys, like, what's like reality? What do you really do about it? And maybe there are people who don't care, you know, frankly, I've shoot so many pictures. Actually, looking at back, looking at back of some of my old digital files, I was like, why did I shoot this? And would I care if it was deleted? Not really, you know? So there's a lot of stuff that I don't really care about. And is there stuff that you guys don't care about? So anyway, this is sort of a call to you guys to tell me what you are doing. I want to get some ideas. Uh, is it um, maybe even open up a discussion? Am I being too crazy about this? Am I too worried about archives? Because I really love looking at old pictures, right? I love going through like the Library of Congress and Shorpy.com and, and just seeing old, old pictures. And uh, you know, this is sort of leading me, leading me into my next subject, but uh, old pictures are important, right? It's how we get information from the past 
Uh, and it's great to be able to see the past compared to the future or the present, I should say, and how, how the world is changing. And will people be doing this with our work, with all the digital files we have? Now, there's so many pictures, right? And like, you know, think about all the images that are uploaded to Flickr and Instagram and all those sites. And that, in a sense, is kind of like an archive. I mean, like that kind of stuff will probably exist. Although, how are you going to find it? Or how does someone find it in the future? But we think about the world history, you know, in photography, you know, a hundred years from now, that, that information might exist, you know, on a ongoing basis, may not be directed uh, or pointed at you specifically, but you're adding to the sort of collective photographic memory of the history of the world by uploading the stuff, right? There's a good chance that that stuff will probably exist in some form or another, Probably, you know, I probably more than, you know, your hard drive, like surviving a garage sale, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what the chances are, but again, it's a kind of a gamble, but again, go back to the flea market, you know, and you go through and there's a, you know, a shoebox full of old prints, right? You know, in fact, I came across one, I might've mentioned this in a previous episode, but I came across an antique store in Connecticut. There was a box of images that says by an ancestor. <laughs> it was all these portraits, like these very formal portraits. Well, I wouldn't say formal. Well, yeah, formal portraits, not snapshots of people in the, you know, uh, early 1900s, late 1800s. And, you know, they were selling them for about a buck a card and I bought three ancestors. I thought that was kind of funny. One of them looked like one of the Smith brothers, you know, the, but, um, you know, again, it's how is that going to happen in the future? You know, so it, well, I, I I have this photograph, these ancestor photographs. I have no idea who took a picture of them, uh, who's who they actually. I have no idea who they are, and I have no idea who the photographer was. I do I think on the back of them, uh, it does say where the studio that it was shot in, because you know often studios back then would put uh, studio logos on them, but it doesn't say like Joe Smith from this studio shot this picture. He might have been. The photographer might have been working for the studio, but he didn't get an individual credit for it. But somehow those three those three pictures exist in the world. And we can see, you know, what people look like in, you know, uh, late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, you know, as long as photography is that we could see what they look like. And as long as we had these prints that we, we can see that. Uh, again, this is just me me riffing off of the fact that I was going through my archives and it, and it popped up in my mind again, this, this idea of what are we doing to take care of our pictures? I know this is a really big subject and um, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it comes close sometimes when I think about this stuff, like how do I want my pictures to survive in the future? Now, Again, you know, printing them out in books, you know, uh, taking the best pictures. And there's so many, so many different services now where you can just upload your pictures almost like in a no brainer way. You upload your pictures and you print them out in a book and you get it sent to you. At least that book is on a shelf someplace and those pictures exist in the world. And, you know, that book can be in a, in, in a, um, in a flea market at some point in the future, you know, a garage sale or something like that. And someone can pick it up. And so somehow they exist in the world. If we think about the old days, old days, I hate to say that, but you know, cause someday will be old days, but often photography was this act of, you know, recording something for posterity, you know, we were taking pictures and, and we knew then that the pictures would probably survive. That was the whole point of taking the pictures that, uh, you know, we were recording something, 
you know, documenting something. And that was the whole point of it. You know, if you think of all the photographers who uh, worked at the uh, at the FSA in the, in the 30s and depression, right? And they, their whole job is to, to document and, and for those pictures to survive. And this is leading me into my next thing is 2009, I got hired by the uh, Brooklyn Botanic Garden. I lived near the Brooklyn Botanic Garden uh, for a long time, and I would go there a lot and photograph. And somehow I ensconced myself into getting them to hire me to photograph their calendar. And the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, just like many other uh, um, nonprofit places that have like gardens and stuff like that, the, the calendar is often something that is uh, a great showcase for them. They send out to their, uh, you know, their donators and 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 uh, sell in the gift shops and stuff like that. And especially a botanic garden or botanical garden is very much a, a visual place as well. So anyway, I got the chance to do their. I actually got to do two calendars in a row, 2010 and 2011. Um, but the 2010 one was special because it was the 100th anniversary of the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Uh, 100 years, I'm going to read this a little again uh, in the back of the calendar. Over 100 years ago, Brooklyn Botanic Garden's founders had the vision to transform a city ash dump into a premier botanic garden in the heart of the borough. Uh, since the garden opened its gates to the public, it has been an urban oasis for all who have entered. The gist of it was, I'd go there pretty much every month and photograph uh, a section of, or many sections of the garden, um, in different, you know, uh, seasons, right. But isn't every month I went there I didn't go every season, but the, 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 the thing that they came up with to do was a then and now kind of situation, right? So, uh, because it was a 1910 to two, uh, 1910 to 2010 anniversary, um, we decided to use photographs, uh, historical photographs by a photographer named Lewis Buell, uh, who had, photographed for the Brooklyn Botanic Garden for over 53 years. And so the idea was for me to go and take pictures in a, you know, of, of places that he had photographed. Now, um, you know, the typical then and now pictures is often a modern photographer will go to the exact same spot as uh, an old historic picture and take it as close as possible to the original picture. And actually, as is popping in my mind, I know there's a photographer who did that with um, Bernice Abbott's pictures of New York City, a modern photographer. I don't know how long ago this is, and I'm, hopefully uh, you guys out there, I mean, I'll probably Google search this afterwards, but uh, and maybe if I, maybe I will and I'll put it in the show notes if I, if I get around to it. But um, that photographer actually set up in some of the same places Bernice Abbott did in her pictures of New York City and, and shot with the same camera, same time, I believe, like at a time of day and in the time of year and whatnot, uh, and try to recreate those pictures. And there's so there's that kind of then and now, which I really, I actually personally dig a lot. I love seeing those those pictures, especially when they're blended in and you can see a little. You know, it just helps give the context of those old pictures. It's such a it's such a cool thing. With these pictures of the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, you know, I thought about in fact while I was shooting it, I was referring to Lewis Buell's original pictures. I think I had them printed with me and would find the locations. And sometimes I would, you know, try to find the exact spot because why not? It was a nice challenge. And uh, sometimes I couldn't because the landscape of the garden has changed and it was physically impossible to do that. But I tried. But the, the, the whole point of it wasn't really to put my tripod 
in in Lewis Buell's tripod holes in the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. I didn't want to match shots. I wanted to get the feel of the place according to the way I saw it, right? And so I would find the locations and I would do my own interpretation of it. But when you would see the pictures next to each other, you knew it was from, you know, the atrium of this or the uh, Rose Garden or something like that. You knew it was that. And and uh, I, I, I really attempted to to put my own spin on the pictures. And I was obviously shooting them in color and Buell's were in black and white. I think he was originally shooting in glass negatives. And um, I, he obviously was shooting for so long that he probably transitioned from glass negatives. But I had access, what was really cool is I had access to high-res digital files, uh, scans of Buell's work. And so uh, what ended up happening afterwards, well, actually, let me first talk about the calendar a little bit. Um, the way the calendar is uh, is set up is I get the main picture, of course. Yippee! <laughs> and then uh, on the date page, there's a, a little copy of, of Buell's picture. So I get the big shot and Buell got the little shot. But what ended up happening from this calendar is that uh, Brooklyn Botanic Garden gave me a show with my pictures um, next to Buell's pictures. And so I will put those pictures of the gallery in the show. And it was my first, like, Pretty much my first and only, I wouldn't call it a solo show because I'm obviously with Lewis Buell, but I'm the one there. Buell was not around to to, to accept uh, the, the credit for his work. And so I got to be his um, sort of surrogate uh, as well. And so what happened was I got to, uh, A, I got to print my own pictures. And I also got the high-res digital files and the Brooklyn Botanic Guard hired me to print Buell's pictures. I did it on my Epson printer. And they were about, I don't know, I can't remember the size of them. I got them hanging on my wall in my apartment, but they were decent sized prints. Uh, so I printed the black and whites on the, on the Epson printer. By the way, those were beautiful prints. They're, they're, they're still holding up now, you know, and those are archival prints. Uh, although my, my printers, uh, I look at it and I'm sad cause I don't, I, it's not working too well now. <laughs> I think I have to buy a new printer, but I am not really printing my pictures right now. So I'm not in a rush, but anyway. The great thing was I got to print out a lot of pictures, more than the calendar um, had, obviously. And you'll see the gallery in the, in the show notes. I'll put, I'll put the pictures in there so you can see how extensive it was. And, and again, we, we put Buell's pictures next to mine. And, and it really had, a nice, um, really had a nice opening. And I got a lot of uh, favorable reviews about it. I was very excited. And I was really happy to put that uh, my spin on the uh, archival pictures. Now, Buell was photographing also, you know, um, to archive, in a sense, what the Brooklyn Botanical Look Garden looked like when it first started. I mean, a lot of the, um, I'm looking at a picture of, uh, let's say the Rose Garden here, actually. And his picture shows it like there is nothing, There's there are no roses. It's just like empty plots of dirt, right? And there's a structure in the background. There's a like a trestle structure in the background. And next to it, there are these rows of trees that had looked like, well, I don't know if they'd just been planted, but um, they're certainly uh, very young trees. And you could see the progress. You could see how he started taking pictures when the garden was started. And then I'm taking pictures when the garden is very well established. And, you know, maybe in a hundred years, someone's going to use my pictures as a uh, comparison to what the garden looks like then, you know, there might be a then and now kind of thing. But uh, again, it was this idea of taking his archival pictures with it, which existed in, in the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens 
archives and, and me taking my own spin on it. So anyway, that sort of popped in my mind as I was um, looking through my old archives. A lot of things come up when you look through your old pictures, right? You know, or go through uh, the dusty, the dust bins of history, as it were. It was a privilege to do this. The next year, uh, we did another calendar. Obviously, it wasn't the then and now calendar, but uh, it was a great experience to photograph for the Brooklyn Botanic Garden for a couple of years. And I'm very proud of this calendar. I mean, it was, uh, you know, taking that idea of someplace that I love a lot and um, sort of transitioning through history, like the, 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 the bounds of history are sort of blurred, right? And, and I'm doing my spin on archival work. And again, this now exists as a calendar. And so it does exist out in the world. Uh, and the, the show existed uh, as a, as now a memory and the prints I still have. And I think the uh, black and white prints are at the Brooklyn Bot Botanic Garden. I didn't get to keep any of those. Again, like this idea of like what I was saying, going through the uh, Library of Congress's website and looking at old pictures, it's just a, it's just a thrill to me. And and I live in a neighborhood. I live in Brooklyn. Uh, I live in a neighborhood that's old. And lately, I've been seeing um, pictures coming up uh, on the local. I have some local Facebook groups I'm part of, and they find archival pictures and they post them up there. And I'm I'm really into like looking for details in it, so I can see all the minor details. And I think I might have told you about a picture that was taken in my neighborhood from a from an aerial that was over the neighborhood again when the neighborhood was kind of new. Uh, it looks like all the houses are relatively new and the trees are young. It's this great panoramic. I will uh, make sure to put that uh, low res version of that in the screen in the uh, show notes because it's a really really big file. It's very it's huge. And you zoom in on it, you know, there's a really high res scan of some great prints. And you zoom zoom in on it, you can actually see like the window panes in these houses. I think it was taken in 19. Uh, I'm I, I have to look at the print, but it's like 1904, 19. 11 in that range. Right. Um, and it's just this great, uh, you know, for me to walk around the neighborhood and see the old houses that are still there and then compare them to this aerial print is, is wonderful. But, you know, a lot of the pictures sometimes are low res and I like to, especially the ones that are in public domain, I like to take them and use um, like Photoshop or something like that to sort of enlarge them so I can start seeing more details. But I want to tell you about these, apps that I've got from, um, let me just check the names of them. Okay. From Topaz labs, right? There's three apps that I bought last year, uh, Topaz sharpen AI, Topaz denoise AI, and the kicker of them was something called Topaz gigapixel AI. So taking these low res archival pictures of my neighborhood and I run them through this gigapixel AI application. And what, what Gigapixel AI does is it takes a low res file. This is one of the things it does. It takes a low res file and, and using artificial intelligence and other black magic <laughs> behind the scenes, it helps with A, enlarge the picture and B, um, sharpen details that are there. Like it, if the picture is fuzzy or it's slightly out of focus, it will sharpen the picture. Uh, it will create detail that um, you can't see in the original picture. Now, it doesn't always work perfectly, but uh, I know Photoshop just came out with a version of this to call it Enhance, and um, it, it's pretty good. But this this application, this Topaz application, just blows away 
um, Photoshop and what Adobe is doing. Uh, and I say that because um, uh, before I go back into the archival pictures, I uh, shot a bunch of pictures uh, a long time ago with my first DSLR, which was a Nikon D100. And I went on a trip to uh, Washington State, uh, Seattle, and then driving around watching the mountains. And when I brought that camera with me, it was the first time I had that camera. Uh, I didn't realize I could set it to a raw file format that would um, um, uh, where the camera could save it pretty fast. Like the basic raw format. Uh, it uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I, you know, sorry about this. But I had it set for a raw format. When I would take a raw picture, the file would take forever to write onto the card. And it wasn't practical, obviously, when you're going on a vacation to wait, take a picture and wait for the raw file. I mean, this was, it took a long time. It was insane. So I only shot JPEG uh, when I was out there. And later on in life, I found out there's a way to change the setting on the Nikon D100 so the raw file doesn't take forever to write. Um, and I can't remember what it was. It's, I don't know if it was compressed raw or not, but there was a setting that I changed and suddenly raw files would record just as fast as JPEGs or, or at least fast enough to make it practical. Anyway. I went on this uh, Pacific Northwest trip with my wife, and and we had a good time. And I shot JPEGs, and and now I'm looking back at them, uh, at the JPEGs, and and they're kind of fuzzy a little bit, you know, and they're JPEGy, you know, with that compression. And so I decided to run it through the Gigapixel AI, right? And so the D100 is a six megapixel um, file, right? So it's two thousand by three thousand pixels. So Gigapixel will double that, right? So make it a 24, it'll go 6,000 by 4,000 instead of 3,000 by 2,000, which is a 24 megapixel file, right? And I ran some of the, you know, some of the landscapes that I shot uh, through this. And those, these I'll definitely post. I'll do the before and the before and after on this so you can see. Um, it's it's night and day difference. I, I was, ha not every picture, by the way, not every picture, but, but it was showing that there's, like a shot of a mountain that I shot, you could just see all these fine details after I ran it through Gigapixel AI. Uh, so it, if you need, and also it, you can dial out noise and JPEG compression. Uh, and uh, it, it's, I, I'm just going to say it's a pretty fabulous app if you need to do this. Now for me in these pictures for the Pacific Northwest, it'd be really practical to use if I wanted to make, big prints of them right and i mean again it doesn't turn them back into raw files although it does save them as dng files if you want to work on them i think it does save them as a dng file so you can bring them into photoshop and do some tweaking but it doesn't add any more dynamic range to the picture but it does do pretty great magic to the details in the picture and dealing with the noise so you know if you're going to get into this kind of stuff where you want to take your old stuff especially from like old digital cameras or even like old archival pictures that you've like scanned on an old scanner or anything like that, you want to increase the the quality of them, uh, I, I, I can highly recommend G G Gigapixel AI. Topaz is Gigapixel AI. The other two apps are the Denoise and Sharpen, and they're great too. Um, but if you need to just get one app, I would say the, the Gigapixel would sort of solve the, the problem of denoising and, and, and sharpening simultaneously. But it, 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 um, it does it in relationship to a sort of an old picture. But if, if you got pictures with noise or, or sharpening, like you want to deal with the uh, pictures that are slightly bl camera blurry or out of focus, 
the Sharp and AI would really work pretty well on that. Uh, I, I actually would recommend all three apps. So, go, you know, go get them if you're going to do that kind of stuff. But anyway, leading that into these archival pictures that I have of the old neighborhood, I was able to run like, you know, and again, I believe they're um, in the public domain because they're really old pictures, run these through these gigapixel AI and start to see details like the names of stores that were a little fuzzy before. Now you can read the names, right? And so using it as a tool to like, to, to look at these old archival pictures, it just brings them to life in a different, different way, you know, um, being able to see all the detail and stuff like that. So I, I, I actually like that kind of stuff where I can actually take old pictures and, and, uh, see the, see the amount of detail, bring them to life and get me um, just a little bit more knowledge of, of the area I live in. And anyway, this leads me to the last thing I want to talk about. And I realize now this is as long as <laughs> this show is as long as the one I had I did in Greenwood. At least the sound is better. Um, a total recommendation. I, uh, it, there's a show on AMC uh, called The Alienist. And it's uh, so far it's been, they've had two seasons. They, they were, the first season uh, was based on a book by Caleb, uh, Caleb Carr called The Alienist. And Alienist refers to a person who's like a psychologist uh, who dealt with uh, mental illness but back in the uh, Victorian age, right? You know, so this takes place in New York, uh, the 1880s, 1890s. I can't remember the exact date, probably 1890s, early 1890s. Uh, and it's a murder mystery, the first one. And it's actually a really good series. I enjoyed it. The second season came out, binged watch that. And it's also based on a book, uh, a Caleb Carr book. I think it's obviously a sequel. And uh, it was pretty, uh, I, I enjoyed it as well. But what I really enjoyed was um, how they depicted old New York, right? Now, this might be very specific for me because I'm a New Yorker. So, so but, I, you know, it has this. Uh, this then and now kind of thing a little bit, but um, what they did was they did a lot of digital recreations of old New York, right? You know, as, as the sets, as the background. Um, and I just wanted to put this out there cause it was really cool. And I'll put these pictures definitely in the show notes cause I got them right in front of me, but uh, they did one recreation of a, um, uh, a department store on sixth Avenue in New York City, which is now currently a Bed Bath and Beyond. In fact, there's a lot of old buildings on Sixth Avenue that were around at that time period. They're the giant buildings, big, heavy, kind of. Um, but they're beautiful buildings, actually. And I'm watching the scene, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this scene looks familiar. Like it looks like like the the way they're shooting. It, I'm like, I've seen that photograph before. And so I did a quick Google search, and I found an old. Uh, I think it was a from a postcard or something. Maybe it's not a postcard, but I can see where they got the source material from right now. Uh, what I did was I did screenshots of, of the uh, scene and I sort of glommed them together in Photoshop so I could make a, a comparison photograph uh, of their version compared to the original picture. I'll drop those in the show notes too. It's really cool, but they did a really good job. I mean, they weren't recreating it exactly because you look at the two buildings, there's a bit of a difference, but you can see that the angle and stuff like that was definitely taken from this photograph. And so the producers obviously did a very good job of, of sourcing the material. And there's also another scene uh, in one of the episodes where it shows some of the main characters uh, walking down an alleyway. And 
I'm looking at that and I'm like, I recognize that without a doubt. And you would probably recognize this one uh, pretty much, for, uh, you know, if you know old archival pictures. There's an old uh, picture from, who is it? Jacob Reese, who photographed it. The, the photograph is called Bandit's Roost. It's Mulberry Street. And it's a shot of an alleyway. And there's some uh, sort of shady-ish looking characters standing on the left and the right. And there's a sort of a slatted building on the left. It's got like shingles or something on the side or whatever you call this, you know, the siding. And you're watching the scene in The Alienist and this guy is walking down this alleyway and they've got the same kind of building and the same kind of hats that people are wearing. And I'll put this in the, the comparison, the show notes. And I, I dig, I so much dig when um, uh, a company or a production company takes that kind or anybody takes that kind of um, uh skills and energy to recreate something from the past and really bring it to life like that. So, um, you know, this is not really directly related to photography, although it is because I think the source material, I mean, the only, a lot of the source material they have from this time period are photographs. There are some moving images as well, but there's a lot more, a lot more photography. And it was really great how they took that two dimensional image and created a three dimensional world from it. And it's like, again, if you know these kind of old pictures, you would definitely recognize these um, these scenes and stuff like that. And so I, I, I really dig that. And so that's the kind of thing, you know, this is, I guess this shows, uh, it ends up being more about archiving and old and new and, and that, uh, you know, then and now kind of stuff. And, and we've seen a lot of that, you know, it becomes almost cliche, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with like, if you find old pictures of the place that you live in and try to find the, um, uh, the, you know, the tripod holes as it were, where the original photographer took it and taking those pictures and, you know, trying to even simulate exactly where they were at the time. I think it's not just the photograph that you're doing. It's sort of the experience, uh, putting yourself in that, in that historical person's shoes and seeing what they see. Of course, you, you have your own experiences and, and, uh, life to sort of project into what you're photographing. So it's going to be a lot different than what, uh, the original person did, but you get some sense of like transitioning, transitioning history like the 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 boundaries are sort of blurred at that point and you know again maybe as the last you know uh, before i say goodbye but you know if you've got those kind of pictures you've got some old pictures from where you live i given my my experiences i suggest going and giving it a shot trying the then and now pictures and because maybe at some point in the future someone's going to do that to your work you know find your pictures of where you are now and then decide to, to try to walk in your shoes and stuff like that so anyway that's enough I, I think i've talked enough but i appreciate if you guys buy us coffees and you help support the show uh, we're really grateful about that but i'm even more grateful that you guys are listening and uh sharing uh the fact that uh, you like the show with your friends and 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 whatnot so hey yeah i'm gonna end it now and uh, thanks for listening. And uh, you know where to find me on Instagram and Twitter at AM Rosario. Uh, AM Rosario everywhere. Um, and you can uh, certainly leave comments on the show pages. So we appreciate that. But uh, hey, uh, Ward and I will see you uh, hopefully on the next episode. So thanks and uh, see you next time.